part of a life group here at Life Church. Um, the, if you can go to our website at lifechurchhw.church and you can sign up today. Uh, there are several different options for you. And uh, life groups are going to kick off the week of September the 12th, uh, the day of our fall kickoff here at Life Church. Uh, if you don't sign up until that point, you're going to be able to meet the people who are going to be um, uh, in charge of all the groups. If you're kind of undecided and you like, man, going around there and you're meeting all the different people and then you finally get over to me, you're like, you're the coolest and I want to be part of your group. That's great. Um, uh, that should have got more of a response. Come on now, guys. But uh, yeah, so excited. I, mean, I am really, really excited about this next season at Life Church. And uh, so be a part of a life group. Just like Matt and Jess were saying there, that's where you're going to get to know people and you're going to be able to grow together um, as, as you deepen your faith together with others because you are better together. I am better because of you guys and being around each and every one of you. So be a part of that. But man, what an incredible morning. It's already been a life church, hasn't it? Wow. I wish I was preaching today. I'm not even preaching today. Uh, there's, uh, but I will do something real quick though, because I'm telling you, it's just all over me today with that song, that mercy song, and it, it reminds me. One of my favorite verses in all Scripture is Titus three five, and it says, "Not by works of righteousness, not the, not because of the things that we have done, but by His great mercy, He saved us." Man, it's His mercy and His love that God gives to us, and He offers relationship to us. It's just an incredible thing. It overwhelms me when I think about his love and his mercy. So today, you may, come, you may have come in here today with just the whole world feeling like it's on your shoulders. Our prayer is today, if you don't know him, that you find him and you leave here different. And if you come here today, you're a follower of Jesus and you're coming with those ways of the world, that you're able to lay it down and walk out of here different today with that hope that can only come through Jesus. Well, today is an exciting day uh, because uh, we, we've been taught, some of you knew that, that we were going to have a special guest today uh, from Converge. You guys hear us talk about Converge around here. It, it is a group of churches that we are aligned with, an organization that has stepped alongside Life Church over the last four and a half, five years. Uh, they have uh, invested in me and in Life Church so so very much, uh, going all the way back to, a, to an assessment process, all the way back in February of 2016, they have walked alongside, I have had coach and a, a coach and several coaches really, and mentors pour into me to help me be better, and um, so this morning, one of our Converge friends is with us, Brian Moak, he is in charge of church strengthening, Brian, you can come on up, he, he, he's going to, yeah, why don't you all welcome Brian. I've got to know Brian over the last probably six months to a year, uh, met him, and uh, he has been such a blessing to me and such an encouragement to me uh, as, as we talk, as I talk about Life Church and talk about our future, and he's going to be walking alongside of us, um, helping us as we continue moving forward at Life Church with some things. And today, some of you are going to help assess Life Church, uh, which I've never been part of an assessment as a church before. And uh, so it's kind of nerve-wracking. So you guys better be nice to me, those of you that are going to take in that, okay? I'm just playing. Uh, but we are excited. I'm excited to see what God's going to do. And uh, Brian Moak, Brian, you have this, buddy? Thank you. Beyond. There we go. Hey, before I get started, th thank you for the stage hand. That's great. 
before I get started, let me say two things. I don't normally say these things, but I just feel like I really want to say these two things. Number one, I'm in churches all the time. That, that's my gig. I, I, I'm constantly in churches, and I spend probably 40% of Sundays not in the church that my wife and I attend, but in churches just like Life Church. And I want to tell you that God is up to something in this place. I can tell already. I'm, I'm not just blowing smoke. It's a real thing. So press into it. Press into it. This is a God thing. This, this isn't a brand thing. This, God is up to something in your midst. So I'm, I'm just telling you, you need to invite every single person you know, people you like, people you hate. Bring them all here. Because what God is doing is clearly unique. The second thing I want to say is we hear all the time, oh, you got to watch out for this younger generation. They're screwed up like crazy. And uh, man, we just got to figure. I'm telling you what, from what was happening up here, from what I'm seeing down here, I, I mean, your young people, yeah. my goodness, yeah. that ain't normal. Yeah. Don't let anyone look on you because you're young. <laughs> um, press into what God is doing in your lives. And, uh, and man, you, you, you're, you're going you're gonna to destroy the evil one yeah. as you seek hard after him. I, now, I know there's other youth than over here, but they're just sort of congregated over here. <laughs> but uh, praise the Lord for that. Yeah. Praise the Lord for that. As uh, Brant said, my name is Brian Moak, and uh, I uh, live in Chicago. And uh, why I am invited to come in August to Florida and not January, could we please coordinate that a little bit better? Uh, but uh, I have been with Converge Mid-America for four and a half years. I was a pastor for 25 years before that in three different locations, all up in the cold Midwest. Um, but uh, I love what I get to do. Uh, our pastors and our movement uh, are my church, <laughs> if you will. They're my people. And I, I, I live to see them be all that God has called them to be so that they can pastor you with all that God has given them uh, to do. So thank you so much uh, for letting me uh, be here this morning. I uh, grew up in a, in a place way up north. You probably never heard of it before. It's called Green Bay, Wisconsin. Have, have you ever heard of it? They have a little football team up there. Uh, and uh, um, I, if, if any of you are Tampa Bay fans, you're dead to me. Uh, but uh, other than that, um, I, I did. I, you, you can't be in Green Bay and not be a diehard Packer fan. I mean, they, they'll throw you out of the city. And uh, because it's a small town, you know, really, 100,000 people. Uh, can you imagine that? Uh, in a city-owned professional football team with 100,000 plus people. Um, but I, I, think, I think it'll set our hearts right if I start with an illustration from the greatest football team that's ever existed. So, uh, yeah, yes? See, that's the kind of love and mercy <laughs> that, uh, that we want to see here. Well, the date was July 1961. And 38 members of the Green Bay Packers football team were gathered together for the first day of training camp. 
previous season had ended in heartbreak when the Packers squandered a lead late in the fourth quarter and they lost the NFL championship to the Philadelphia Eagles. <laughs> the players have been thinking about this brutal loss for the entire offseason and they couldn't wait to get back to training camp and get back to work. And the players were eager to, to get their game to the next level and to start working on the details that would help them to win that championship that had eluded them uh, the previous season. Their coach, Vince Lombardi, well, he had kind of a different idea. And so he began with the most elemental statement of all. Gentlemen, he said, holding a football in his right hand, this is a football. Can you imagine that? Lombardi was coaching a, a group of three dozen professional athletes who had come within minutes of winning the biggest prize their sport could offer. And yet he started at the beginning. And he didn't stop there. Lombardi continued his focus on the fundamentals. He started from page one. At one point, Max McGee, their all-pro wide receivers, uh, joked to the coach and said, ah, Coach, uh, could you slow down a little bit? You're going too fast for us. Lombardi reportedly cracked a smile, but he continued his obsession with the basics all the same. His team would become the best in the league at the tasks that everyone else took for granted. And then six months later, the Packers beat the New York Giants 37 to nothing to win the NFL championship. It seems kind of absurd that a coach would take experts and get them back to the fundamentals. But Lombardi knew something important. He knew that if he didn't repeat those fundamentals to his guys, they would be prone to forget them and then their execution would be lacking. Well, get this, God is the ultimate coach. And he wants to make sure that his team never forgets the fundamentals. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 to 9, he instructs the Israelites with these words. He says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. <laughs> Why did God do all this? Why did he make such detail in all of this? Well, in verse 10 and following, he gives us the answer. He says that he wanted to make sure that his people constantly knew that he alone was the source of every good thing that they were going to experience. And without those constant reminders, he knew that his kids would forget him. And guess what? He was right. Over and over, we see in Scripture how God's people would forget the fundamentals. They'd become apathetic in their relationship with God, and they would fall away from Him. And God's unconditional love would always restore His people, but not without consequences. 
Because you see, God disciplined his people because he wanted them to know that following him was far better for them in the first place. Well, guess what? God has given us fundamentals as well. And it's called the gospel. <laughs> the good news of the life and the ministry of Jesus and how salvation is a gift from him alone. And like the Israelites, we too need to repeat the fundamentals because we forget. We're prone to wander. We're prone to leave the God we love. But too often, we tend to think that the gospel is just for rookies only. <laughs> it's the handbook for people who are going to come to Christ as Savior and Lord, and then we move on to the more important, complicated plays, if you will. Instead, those of us who claim the name of Jesus, well, we need to repeat the gospel to ourselves regularly. I would argue we need to repeat the gospel to ourselves every single day. Because just like the Israelites, we can forget how good the good news is. Furthermore, we tend to confine the gospel to a narrative that's found in the first four books of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These four books, they're, they're actually called the Gospels, and, and they do give the good news of the story of Jesus' life, his birth, his ministry, his crucifixion, his resurrection, and, and we need to read them. But God's plan of redeeming people to himself, the good news, was not simply some sort of last-minute decision 2,000 years ago or some, some abrupt change to God's plan. His good news, <laughs> Jesus, was in fact God's redemptive plan from the very beginning. So this book, the Bible, the entire Bible, is the complete story of the good news of God redeeming man from his sin. From Genesis to Revelation, from beginning to end, Jesus is the gospel. And we need to be reminded of it every single day. So this morning, we're going to go through the playbook, the Bible, so that we might see again this plan of salvation that's woven through the entirety of Scripture. Now, some of you are saying, oh my goodness, we're going to be here till next Thursday. <laughs> I, I promise, I promise, we're, it's going to be an overview of God's plan to redeem his people. And, and here's the deal, the powerful reality that you and I were included in God's plan from the very beginning. So my prayer for us is that we might be reminded again in a fresh way the power of this book. It is powerful. It is effective. It is, in fact, in its entirety, the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Amen? Let's pray together before we start. Lord, we just thank you for today. God, you have, you have been here already. We have been about your presence in worship. And God, we pray that it would just continue now as we open your word. God, we, we, we need transformation a whole lot more than we need information. And so Holy Spirit, would, would you uh, move in this place as I know you already have change us, break us, remake us, so that we might look more, than this, more like this amazing Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. 
his name we pray. Amen. Well, let's start with the very first verse in the very first chapter of the very first book of the Bible. It begins like this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And now the earth was formless and empty and darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light and poof, that's my word, there was light. God saw that the light was good and, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. God continues to create. He created the water, the sky, the land, trees, fruit, the sun, the stars, fish, bird, wild animals, livestock, all these critters that scurry along the ground and these dumb little lizard things that I see all over the place. For five days, he created everything that we can see and all the things that we'll never be able to see. And each thing that he created pleased him and he called all of them good. We're actually told in the Gospel of John, one of those four narratives, uh, that Jesus himself was present during creation. And he even participated in creation. It says, in the beginning was the Word. That's a capital W. That's Jesus. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. And on the sixth day of creation, God said this, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Do you see that? In the image of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It says, let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, over all the creatures that move along the ground, even those dumb lizards. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And it was upon creating man that he was no longer simply pleased, saying, yeah, this is a good thing. Uh-uh. He was now very pleased. And he said, this is very good. <laughs> God loved man and gave him dominion over all that he had created. He gave him every fruit and plant to eat from. He blessed man, and he would walk with man in uninterrupted relationship and fellowship. Can you imagine that? Walking with God without any fear, with total perfection, just hanging out with God. But by the third chapter of the Bible, just, just a few little short pages in, man decides that all of that perfection all of that blessing that was given by God. Well, you know what? It's just not quite enough. Because you see, man wanted to be like God. And so he disobeyed God by eating from the one stinking tree that God specifically forbade him to eat from. And so because of this one act of disobedience, this one act of sin, God disciplined man. And so man was cursed. He was sent away from this perfection in the garden. The earth would no longer be perfect. It would actually become difficult to deal with, causing hard, often unfruitful work. There would be pain in childbirth. There would be difficulty in personal relationships. And there would be this recognized distance from God because of this act of sin. But here's the cool thing. Instead of leaving man, 
God shows his love for him by clothing him, by caring for him, by, by making him fruitful and multiplying him. You see, God's gospel plan is already unfolding. Because when man sins, God redeems. Well, man pays back God's love and kindness by this. He, he continues to sin. Murder is introduced by the fourth chapter of the book, and, and by the sixth chapter of the Bible, sin is so horrible, the Lord sees how great man's wickedness on the earth had become, and that every inclination, everything he thinks about, is only evil all the time. So he decides, you know what, I'm just going to start over. I'm going to wipe it all out. But even then, in his mercy... He saves a remnant in a guy by the name of Noah and his family and a portion of all the animals he created because, you see, it's the gospel. <laughs> Man sins and God redeems. Well, God tells a man by the name of Abram that he's going to make him the father of a great nation. They're going to be God's people, his chosen nation. And he's going to bless them with their very own land that he alone is going to give to them. Well, God uh, miraculously rescues his people from captivity through a guy by the name of Moses and, and performs all sorts of miracles to prove his presence with them. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that his very presence is with them visibly in a cloud by day and fire by night. Can you imagine that? Come to church in the morning and there's the cloud and go home at night and there's the fire. The manifest presence of God with you every single day. Well, man repays this amazing gift from God by grumbling. Grumbling at all the things that God was giving him. And longing for their days of slavery back in Egypt. And ultimately, they began to serve other gods. God punishes man for his disobedience, but he gives him a way to atone for sin by a sacrificial system using uh, animals without defect, perfect animals without defect as sin offerings. You see, this sets the stage even further for the gospel, the coming redemption through Jesus, because man sins and God redeems. Well, God gives his people the promised land and he destroys foreign armies in ways that only he can take the credit for. There's no other way to, than God to, to explain how this little rinky-dink nation can overpower armies a whole lot greater than they are. And man repays God for all of this amaz amazing stuff by marrying foreign women, taking on their gods, and forgetting Yahweh. And so God judges man for his disobedience by making these other nations a problem to them. And when that happens, man confesses his sin, and so God sends judges to restore the worship and relationship his people had with him. Because you're getting the idea now, aren't you? Man sins, and God redeems. Well, man decides that God's sovereign rule isn't enough anymore. Man wants a king like every other nation. So, God gives him a king. But there's a problem. Because these kings are not God and they're imperfect, man continues to fall back into sin and idolatry of all kinds. So God sends prophets to convict man of sin. 
These prophets call people to repentance and they point toward a Messiah that's going to bring ultimate peace and salvation. You see, the gospel just continues to unfold. God never leaves his people. But for now, God decides that his people must become captives to other nations because all of their idolatry and all of this sin that they're committing. And yet even in that, God saves the remnant of his people. Because again, the good news throughout the Bible is that what? Man sins and God redeems. Well, after generations of kind of silence from God, there's, there's no new speaking from God that's taking place. God decides that it's time to send another redeemer to redeem his people again. This time, it's not going to be a patriarch like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's not going to be a deliverer like Moses. It's not going to be a judge like Samson. It's not going to be a king like David. It's not even going to be a prophet like Isaiah. This time... The Redeemer is going to be God himself. The second member of the Trinity who was, remember, with God in the creation of the world, who was with God when God said, let us create man in our image. You see, the perfect Son of God would be the Savior of the world. John says, the Word became flesh. <laughs> but this Savior would be like none other. He'd be the perfect Adam the perfect Abraham, the perfect Moses, the perfect David. God would become a man to redeem man. Because when man sins, God redeems. But you see, there's a catch. You see, because God is holy, he demands a sacrifice for sin. You know, we've seen this pattern from the beginning of Scripture, haven't we? Sin has to be atoned for. Someone has to die. So either we need to die for the sins that we've committed, or a substitute has to die. But now the substitute is no longer going to be an unblemished, perfect animal that has to be repeatedly offered uh, for, for the repeated sins of man. God says this time his perfect, unblemished, sinless son, Jesus, he's going to be a once and for all atoning and substitutionary sacrifice. So here's the deal. Jesus agrees to leave all the perfection of heaven that he had experienced for all of eternity. Think, think about that for a second. I have no problem thinking about today and eternity future. But Jesus never wasn't. You can go back and back and back and back and then back and back and never get to the end of it. And Jesus never wasn't. I mean, that's a mind exploder. And he left all of it, all of the perfection for all of eternity past in heaven uh, to become this. <laughs> this. With all its weaknesses, with all its limitations, so that, guess what? He could die for rebellious and sinful people whom he loves. That should blow your brains right there. Romans 5, 6 through 8 says, You see, at just the right time, when we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, man sins, 
God redeems. It was at the cross that the perfect died for the imperfect. It was the death of the holy for the unholy. It was the death of God for man. I've been asked and have even thought myself, how, how could the Jewish people have missed it? You ever thought of that before? I mean, I mean, with so much history of God redeeming his people, how could they have missed it? Not only missing it, but instead choosing to crucify the same Jesus. I mean, in three years of ministry, Jesus performed at least 37 different miracles. He turned water into wine. He provided bread and fish to feed thousands of people. He healed sick people. He cast out demons. He even raised people from the dead. Even upon his arrest, his captors watched him reattach an ear of a soldier that one of his disciples had cut off. I mean, how in the world could they have been so dumb to miss it? Some Bible scholars suggest that there are more than 300 prophetic scriptures uh, fulfilled and completed in the life of Jesus. That means that hundreds of years before Jesus was ever even born, prophets talked about his coming. In other words, Jesus was the plan from the beginning. He'd be born a virgin. He'd be born in Bethlehem. He'd spend a season in Egypt. He'd be a Nazarene. He'd be betrayed. He'd be spat upon. He'd be crucified with criminals. And the list goes on and on and on. And I say it again, how in the world could they have missed it? Well, John 12, 37 to 40 says, even after Jesus had done all these miraculous signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet, Lord, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason, get this, they could not believe because as Isaiah said elsewhere, he has blinded their eyes and deadened their hearts so they can neither see with their eyes nor understand with their hearts nor turn and I would heal them. Simply put, they missed it because God had a plan. And that plan includes you and that plan includes me. But we know that the cross is not the end of the story. It's not the end of the plan, right? After three days and the biggest miracle of all, Jesus rises from the dead. The stone is rolled away from the tomb and death and sin has been conquered. And just as Adam's one sin brought condemnation for all people, Christ's one act of love brings life forever for all who believe. And then after showing himself to hundreds of people, this risen Jesus was ascended to heaven where he was and is glorified. The lamb that was slain is now the lion of Judah reigning as king of kings and lord of lords. And that brings us to the end of the book. I told you it wasn't going to take forever. We're told that one day. The Bible even says that it could be this day. King Jesus is going to return. He's going to return to establish his kingdom forever and ever. And he's going to create a new heaven and a new earth without sin, without death, without sickness, without COVID, without pain, without poverty. Once and for all, he defeats Satan and all of his demons. Why? We all know, right? Man sins and God redeems. So today... We have in this book, the Bible, God's full plan of redemption. There's nothing missing that we need to know. 
you know that a third of the world claims some belief that Jesus is who he said he is? Most of you here this morning believe that Jesus is who he said he is. But if it's true, if Jesus really is who he is, why will there be even today some who will not turn their lives over to him? Why will some of us, even this morning, continue to reject the gift of redemption, the gospel? That's because we still think we want to live our own lives, right? We still don't think God's enough. We still think there must be a better way. Maybe we feel, you know what, we're good enough. Maybe we feel we're just not good enough at all. Maybe there's still some evidence that we need to see to believe. And here's the scariest thing. Maybe we just don't think it makes a whole lot of difference anyway. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The Apostle Paul says in Romans 8, 1 and 2, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. Brothers and sisters, the evidence is clear. The difference is clear. God has had a plan to redeem his people from the very beginning, and all along his plan has been Jesus. He loves us. He loves you. So what are you going to do with this plan? Are you going to continue to live in rebellion? Are you going to continue to reject the truth of Christ? Are you going to continue to investigate other roads that somehow you think this is where it's going to lead to redemption? Hebrews chapter 3 says this, Today, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. See to it that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily as long as it's called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Friends, today is the only day we're guaranteed. Today is the day for you to accept the gospel. Many of us here this morning have already accepted the truth of the gospel. And so my question for us is this. Is it still life-giving? Is it still the best news that you've ever heard? Is the truth of the gospel changing the way that you live every day, or are you prone to wander, forgetting its power? Maybe most importantly, if you say yes to all that, yes, it's the best news ever, yes, it changes the way I live every day, then are you sharing it with those who don't know the gospel? Do you even have people in your life that aren't followers of Jesus with whom you can even share this good news? You know, maybe the most convicting passage in all of Scripture to me is found in Romans 10, 13 and following. It says this, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Isn't that great news? But here's the catch. How then can they call on the one they've not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? By the way, you're the preachers. And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. There's a website uh, that I came across called thearta.com. It's a boring web. It's as boring as it sounds. The Association of Religious Data Archives. 
there's one little piece in it that's really quite fascinating and you can put your zip code your city in there and it will tell you it'll default to the county but it'll tell you the religious makeup of your county do you know in orange county there are 475,000 people who claim some sort of religious connection now that isn't necessarily a christian religious connection that's any sort of religious connection buddhist islam hindu christian you name it anything 475,000 people. There are 664,000 people who say they have no religious connection at all. That means that over 58% of the county, Orange County, has no official religious affiliation of any kind. And if you count only evangelical Christians, 19% of Orange County considers themselves evangelicals. By the way, I, I mined that down. Uh, at the last I could find is there's 40,000 people in Horizon West. There's probably 140,000 people. It's growing so fast here. So 40,000 people in Horizon West. If, if the math stays true, that means that there are 23,000 people in Horizon West that are unclaimed. Brothers and sisters, we need to preach the gospel to ourselves every single day. We need to preach it to ourselves to remind ourselves from what we've been saved from. And we need to preach it to ourselves so that we might share it with those who are in our sphere of influence right now who need to know this gospel, this great news of life through Jesus. Amen? Would you pray with me? God, I am just constantly amazed at your perfect plan an eternal perfect plan we are so dumb to think that somehow we have a better idea the creature telling the creator I got a better idea but it's what we all do it's what we all do because of that very first sin we're born that way <laughs> but God you sent the redeemer you sent the fix to what's ailing us. We've already heard that testimony shared this morning. But God, I just pray for anyone in this room and anyone who's watching online right now, anyone who says, you know what, I've just not done that. I'm still trying to live my own life. I'm still trying to do it my own way. I'm still not convinced. Oh, Holy Spirit, would you change them today? Would you take the scales off of their eyes so that they might know this Jesus? This Jesus that has changed my life. I mean, just changed it completely. There's nothing magical about coming to him. Scripture says that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is who he says he is, you will be saved. It's not some sort of magic potion or I got to say the right words. It's simply realizing that you can't get to heaven on your own merits. It's giving yourself to Jesus and say, tag, you're it. I can't do it. Oh God, would you save someone today? God, that you would bring life, new life here at Life Church. <laughs> then God, for the rest of us, God, I pray that we would be so convicted today. So convicted of the call to go that each of us would be like Isaiah and say, here am I, send me. When we leave this parking lot, we enter the mission field.
And so God, give us boldness to share the greatest news that's ever been given, the news that changed everything for us. And we will make sure to give you all the glory when you answer that prayer. And so we pray all of this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Just a great reminder today is in how much God loves us. It's a reminder to me that, man, there's nobody that loves me like Jesus. Why there's nobody that loves you like Jesus? He knows you best, and he loves you most, church. It's an incredible thing. Just say yes to him. What an incredible day. And if you've made a decision to follow Jesus, like, like Pastor Brian said, it's just real easy. You know, there's no magical words or anything just there in your seats. If you gave your heart to him, boy, we want to celebrate with that with you. There's a card in the back that you can fill out and drop off and uh, give it to one of us or drop it out in front or in the offering bucket back there. And we'd love to celebrate with you that decision that you've made to follow Jesus today. Nothing greater in all the worlds. And here as we are winding down our service, we're going to be getting out of here in just a minute. I want to encourage you. Um, as, as we step into a time of generosity. You know, it's because of your generosity that we have stories like Miguel. Because people have given, because people, you know, giving is really a way that we can love God back, right? He's given so much to us, and it's saying, God, I love you, I trust you, and I worship you, and I'm putting you in first place here. And your giving makes a difference in the lives of others. I'd encourage you to give. To, come, to step alongside us, to help us reach this community with the gospel, to love on people. And it's because your generosity, even this last week, we were able to, again, love on the administra it's administration here at Water Spring. It's been a crazy start of the year. If you've got kids that are in any of the schools running, you understand that. I mean, there, there are people everywhere. They're so overran. So we thought it would be a great thing just to step in and just take, take all the uh, administrative team here this week, some Duncan. And uh, just to love on them, let them know that Life Church loves you. We're praying for you. And it's because of your generosity that we can just do these kind of things. So thank you for that. Thank you for making it a difference, church. You can either give there in the uh, offering box in the back. You can text an email to 84321. Or you uh, can simply just go to our website at lifechurchhw.church. Again, church, I love you. Why don't you all stand here and let's go out today worshiping God. Your band, take it away. It's Miguel's last week before we take it away. And because Miguel obviously has been such a great part of our worship team and of our Life Church family, just like we did with Abby last week, um, I want to pray a prayer of blessing over him as he goes as a church family and ask God to go before him, to lead the way, to keep him close to his heart. And um, it's very obvious, right, that God's hand is on Miguel's life. It doesn't take a rocket science to see, scientist to see that, right? So if you guys would, let's pray for him, that God would go before him. If you're comfortable with it, lift a hand of blessing over him as we pray. God, we lift up Miguel to you. We thank you for him. Thank you for the talent you've blessed him with. Thank you for his willingness to give it all back to you. Thank you for the amazing leader that you have raised him up to be in his time with us, Lord. And 
Thank you for all the things that you've taught him. Thank you for the blessing to us that he's been. I pray, Father, you'd go before him. I pray that you'd be a lamp to his feet, a light to his path, that you would guide his steps, that you would take him to just the right church where he can plug in. Give him a team 